Georgia's DBHDD has an urgent health warning. One of every 10 counterfeit pills contain fentanyl, a powerful and very deadly drug. Pills from friends or dealers are unsafe, and one pill can cause an overdose. More info at opioidresponse.info. Welcome to Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. Thanks so much for being with us as we start a brand new week here at GPB Radio. Uh, also, I'm not much of a baseball fan, but I got to say, I'm a Chicagoan. When the Cubs come to town, I become the biggest baseball fan in the city. Uh, I don't know, Galloway. It's going to be pretty crowded up there tonight. We're 0-3, and we're looking to uh, break the break the losing streak, the yeah. first losing streak of the year. Yeah, well, hey, having been a longtime loser with the Cubs, I sympathize. Jim Galloway is, of course, uh, here today. Jim, we're getting down to it. Tomorrow's day 40, the final day of the legislative session, and a lot still to be decided on that 40th day. Yeah, the big one is, of course, is uh, the the uh, airport slash yep. transportation slash jet jet fuel yep. uh, tax, but a couple of uh, other items. So, Jim Galloway, you read him in the Wednesday and Sunday edition of the newspaper, and of course, uh, he oversees the Political Insider blog at AJC.com. Sitting next to him today, first time, a panelist for Political Rewind, Cody Hall. He is Governor Kemp's. You're, the title is press secretary. Yes, sir. Right? Yes. Cody, we're glad to have you here. Great to be here. How have you done your first session? It's a busy time. Well, you'd probably have to ask the, the rest of the people around the panel how, <laughs> how we've done, but uh, we feel good about it, and we're off to a good start. So. Gotten some sleep? A little bit, so uh, I have a six-month-old at home, so yeah. the sleep is few and far between, but <laughs> yeah. we get it where we can get it. So. Thanks for joining us today. Representative Brenda Lopez from Gwinnett County is back in the studio. I asked you before we went on the air, have you been just worn completely down by this session, Brenda? Well, after tomorrow, I say I need about three days of sleep, yeah. and I should be good to go. Yeah, and Jackie Gingrich-Cushman is uh, here as well. Jackie Cushman, of course, frequent panelist on the show. Uh, you can read her commentary, her columns at, at her website, at JackieCushman.com, where you can also learn about the books that Jackie has written, but you can also go to Town Hall. A little bit in, uh, into the show, we'll talk a little bit about your latest column. Hi. Glad to be here. Thanks yeah. for having me. Yeah, it's good to see you again, Jackie. All right, let's get right to it. Uh, Jim, you mentioned it already, one of the big bills that's still hanging out there, which has gotten more complicated rather than less, is this uh, proposed takeover of Hartsfield-Jackson Airport by the state. Uh, that's a bill that has been a big bill in the Senate. The Senate passed it relatively early on, actually, and the House, because of Speaker David Ralston's intransigence about it, has slowed. Let's say opposition. Well, okay, <laughs> his opposition it slowed it down a bit. So, um, where does this stand now? It's now become what we like to call a Franken bill. Yeah, it, it's um, it's a. Uh, it it has become a total totally different vehicle. Number one, uh, the 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 takeover element has been transformed to an oversight, uh, uh, some over uh, an oversight measure, uh, similar to what uh, the, is done with MARTA. 
Uh, it also includes uh, nine other commercial airports in Georgia, so so Atlanta wouldn't be f- feel quite so targeted. It would have subpoena power. Uh, it uh, it is it is. Uh, it is now. It, it's still opposed by the city of Atlanta, but I think if push came came to shove, they would prefer that over uh, over the Burt Jones element. Burt Jones being it, the it, one who wants the state to literally take control from the city. Exactly right. And what uh, the other parts of that is, of course, it has the the jet jet fuel tax break that that Delta has uh, has has wanted. Uh, it would apply to other airlines, of course, but but Delta would be the primary uh, beneficiary, and I think it goes to goes to 2039 it's 20 year exemption and uh following and then then that's not enough you have house bill 511 that's tacked onto it which would establish which would allow local governments across the state of georgia to to set up these small transit operations bus buses bus services uh to 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 help move people who don't have cars and have to travel long distances in in south georgia rural georgia um Brenda, your leader in the House, David Ralston, has said he's never been able to figure out what the real pressing need was for the takeover by the state. And uh, this it, it doesn't seem like he's changed his position on that. Well, just point of clarification, he's our speaker, our leader's Bob Trammell. But, <laughs> but that being said, uh, absolutely, right? There's always, even with the shift that went from the takeover to this oversight committee, what I kept hearing, especially during during the different uh, folks that spoke on behalf of it, was that it essentially did nothing. It, it did not man. It did did not do any direct management. It did not do anything regarding procurement, which was the main issue about whether there's any uh, funny business going on with that. And it was essentially just going to be there just in case with subpoena power. And again, this whole concept of creating more government entities to create more transparency really didn't didn't mesh well with me either. Um, so I think it, it's helpful to kind of back up and kind of um, walk through kind of why this topic came up, because I think that's important. Um, so I think from the Senate side, obviously, they have uh, a desire to really, to put your point, take over, right, the airport. And that stems from a couple of things. Um, one is the ongoing investigation of the corruption into the Atlanta city government, um, which is, I'm sure, still happening as we are sitting here. And then secondly um, is the concern of, I think, there's a, I think there's an FAA investigation, but Jim, I'm sure you'll correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, into, the, the FAA has proposed, it's, it's, it's scheduled an audit, a seven-year audit of, of the airport. And I don't know if that's related, and I'm sure you can clarify, if that's related to Mayor um, Keish Lance Bottoms paying some of our campaign staff out of the airport money during the transition or not, or if that's a separate uh, audit, but I'm sure you can clear that up. No, no, it's it's a it is a it is something that they do on uh, on a nationwide basis. They pick out several airports to do it. I'm sure that some of those questions raised might have been a factor in in in, in making sure that Atlanta was on the schedule. But uh, it's one of those things where you it's it, it you know you, you will have we will have a a very authoritative. Uh, uh, federal uh, look at, at at whether the money's being mis- misspent or not. So my, I guess my point is that's kind of happening in the background on the lead up to this legislative session. From the Senate standpoint, their idea of how to fix this, which I actually I agree with the representative, is, is a bit of an overreach, right, to create a whole new government entity to go on top of it and to, to t- totally take over this, um, you know, the airport from the city's control. So I think um, Speaker Ralston, and I, I heard him speak, I think, about a week ago, really has no appetite for that. Uh, as you mentioned, Bill, that he 
he really doesn't want to create a whole new entity to totally take over the airport. But that what he's looking for is kind of a, a midway, how can we work together and make sure we have oversight not only of the Atlanta airport, but other airports in the state, and to make sure things are done as they should be. And so I think this is, again, you know, Speaker Ralston's known for kind of trying to figure out how to make things work pragmatically. This is his way of doing that. Uh, Cody, this whole issue could be so quickly resolved if, oh, the governor <laughs> would give us, uh, tell the legislature what he thinks should happen with this bill. Right, Bill, and I, I hope we have some time to go through some of the priorities that the governor had for this session, but this we was will. not on that list. Um, <laughs> and, and as Jim pointed out, there was a Senate priority in terms of um, an airport takeover. Um, there was a House priority now put onto this bill in terms of a transit bill. Um, we were clear that we supported the jet fuel excise tax portion of the bill. Um, and, you know, it's not over till it's over. Tomorrow's the last day. Um, I think Jackie had great points in terms of um, watching the process play out. But um, we've been clear where we are in a particular portion of it. And look, th with all these priorities that we have, whether it's the budget, the Patients First Act, um, we work with the House and Senate very closely on all those priorities. So they have their priorities. They're going to work together and with our office to move those forward. But but we had ours as well. Yeah, but it is certainly true that when, look, Governor Deal was governor a century ago at this point. Uh, but during his tenure, he and Kasim Reed had the kind of partnership that we knew was going to stop this sort of thing from going forward. And uh, to the to this point, uh, the relationship between Mayor Bottoms and your boss may be starting to congeal, but it isn't there to the same extent that a governor deal was willing to make sure that Mayor Reed was taken care of in issues like this. And I'm not sure that that relationship with Mayor Reed and Governor Deal started on day one. Um, right. It, it took a few years for them to um, understand where each were coming from, work through a few issues together. I I will say that um, I've been around both the mayor and the governor personally. Um, they like each other. They get along very well. They've had meaningful conversations, not just on the airport issue, but Norfolk Southern. Um, mm -hmm. They had a groundbreaking that both of them were at the other day. Um, they have a great relationship. And look, I think both of them understand um, that to go forward and, and to move Georgia and the whole state forward, both Atlanta and the state have to have a good working relationship. And that's certainly um, the governor's perspective on this. And look, they've had multiple conversations on this issue um, over the last few months, and I'm sure they'll continue to have them. But um, we're looking to kind of see how but, things play no, out no, tomorrow. No, hang, hang on. Yeah. If, 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 the, the Atlanta airport uh, is, is pretty much the driving economic, after, after agriculture, of course, is the driving economic force in the state of Georgia. And if you have a, 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 a group of lawmakers who are trying to change it structurally, isn't the, isn't the governor of the state of Georgia obligated to at least give some direction on what he's willing to accept and what should be sent hands off? That, that just seems to me to be, to be elemental. I think if you would ask anyone who has a, a, a stake in this issue, whether it's and Senator Jones in the Senate, um, or Speaker Ralston, or the mayor, um, have they had conversations with the governor about this issue? I think all of them would say yes, uh, he, and that he's been very clear about what he would like to see and what he would not yeah, like to see. I, I have to I, say, I Brenda, wait, wait, wait. I have to say, Brenda, I do think that Cody just, uh, in his own way, 
gave us some interesting information there. He, he told us that the governor and the mayor are continuing to have conversations about this, that he says they're cordial conversations. Uh, he may not want to go out and give it to us in full, but it does sound as if the governor must be listening in these conversations with the mayor, and perhaps there are things going on behind the scenes that we don't know about at this point. Well, there's... I'm glad that you brought back to me because I do want to highlight uh, what was mentioned about what is the underlining reasons about why we see this and the conversations that need to be had. Being cordial and agreeing are two different things, right? And you can be cordial and still disagree about why we're pushing for and why it started off as especially the takeover. But the oversight is simply a a compromise. But the underlining uh, concern that many of us had is this notion uh, that the issue is that here is a city ran by predominantly African-Americans and an airport that is ran predominantly by African-Americans and minorities, and that minorities were heavily receiving uh, the through the procurement process contracts into the airport. No one has talked about uh, there being an issue of inefficiency of the airport or that the management of the airport is not doing well or that any business decision that the airport has been um, has done through City Hall or through its um, as its own entity. There's no concerns as to that, and none of those concerns have been brought. So it's important to mention that that is an, a, a background conversation that I'm sure that I, the mayor is I'm, having. I'm glad you said that. And, Jackie, I, I, let me, if you, I know you want yeah. to jump in. Let me ask you to respond to something, and then please make your point as well. I, we, I brought up on this show a, a few weeks ago this question as to whether race was an issue in all of this. Um, white rural Georgians looking uh, at an, a, a city, an airport authority run by African Americans, being concerned about the corruption that has been evident in the city. Um, and I almost was in, I, I almost felt, un, I really felt uncomfortable even raising it on the air, but it did seem to have some value as a conversation piece. And I pick up Jim's newspaper today and the big story on the right-hand side of the front page is airport takeover bid steers talk of racism. Um, So I think Brenda's right. We can't completely discount whether there is some race involved in all of this, some concern about race in all of this. Well, I think um, the good thing about being in America is we can talk about whatever we want to talk about, perfectly frankly. We can talk about, you know, whether we like things or don't like things. And I totally agree with the representative. We can uh, we can disagree and still be cordial. And I think that's really important, especially in today's environment, that we do that. But regarding the airport, if you look at what the way the um, the recent corruption investigation in the city, that, quite frankly, should give pause regardless of what race anyone is. I mean, it has it's about the how it's run and the fact that Mayor Bottoms paid her campaign staff out of airport monies is concerning. Now, I, I believe it was paid back. And he sure paid what? He, he, she paid her uh, <laughs> deputy, her chief of staff uh, out of that and then did pay it back after the AJC began investigating. Right. I'm just saying, I, I think this is, from my perspective, looking at the facts as we know them, this is a, this is a concern about how things are being run. And, and are they being run correctly? Now, having said that, I actually agree with Ralston. I don't think we should have a takeover of the, of, the, of the airport. But having said that, I don't think we should necessarily assume anyone's motives without actually knowing what they are when we have facts to the, that are to the contrary. Uh, you know, the, the, to, to, to Brenda's point, the one, the one 
question that I have never asked and probably needed to be asked this maybe two or three weeks ago is in a state takeover, whose picture would be in the airport greeting newcomers? <laughs> I, I think we know, don't we? Well, uh, I, the governor would have control of that. Yeah, yeah, that's my point. It would certainly wouldn't consider- be mine, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> and it might not Ooh. be, not, we're not talking about just uh, the mayor's picture, but the very diverse pictures that follow her. I don't know that we would see the same representation that we would otherwise. You know, I have to say that uh, reading that piece in the Constitution this morning, I was trying to pull it up and I, I can't get on my Wi-Fi for, for some reason. <laughs> I, don't rem- I don't know who did that piece for you all. It was uh, Ernie Suggs and uh, uh, Ke- uh, Kelly Yamanucci. One of the things that I thought was really terrific about it was that it also gave us a background on Maynard Jackson, who, as mayor of the city of Atlanta, Cody, uh, was the first one mayor in an American city, an African-American mayor, to uh, come up with a system by which minority contractors would be guaranteed an opportunity to bid and and receive contracts, I think 25% was the mandate of the contracts that were awarded to Hartsfield, at that point Hartsfield Airport, now named also by, for Maynard Jackson, would be minority contracts. And whatever corruption there's been, whatever issues there have been, one of the things the article makes clear is that was a wonderful moment in Atlanta history. And very controversial. Very controversial. Absolutely. I'm, I, I think if you look at the current mayor, she's um, she's making strides to make sure that the, the issues that are there are addressed. Um, I think the recent article about her chief of staff, that funding, that is obviously a bump in that road. Um, but I think we take the mayor at a word that um, she's headed towards a point where these issues are addressed. Um, and, and we look forward to continuing that conversation. All right. Well, we'll watch how that unfolds uh, uh, tomorrow. Uh, Brenda, medical marijuana. You in the House passed a a bill which expands the uh, medical marijuana laws, the cannabis oil laws that now exist. For the first time ever, the state of Georgia—first of all, you'd be able to buy cannabis oil in Georgia from a number of dispensaries. And second of all, there would be contracts awarded to growers who could produce the oil. You had a certain number. Bill went to the Senate— and they cut back both the dispensaries and the uh, grower numbers, and now it's back in your hands. Where's that headed? Well, that's something that we need to increase back to our original numbers. Actually, even the House's original numbers, I have um, no concerns in terms of the issues as it relates to the need for production and cultivation. And um, I actually happen to have voted no uh, precisely on our bill because of the licensure issue. The, The fact that, again, that we had such limited number of dispensaries and um, growers, and on top of the fact that there was no willingness, even though there was members in that committee that wanted to have some sort of assurance that minority-owned businesses and women-owned businesses would actually be able to get into the business. Do you remember how many dispensaries were in the initial House bill? There were as many as 60 or something? 60 in the the version. Right. In the original. Right. Okay. Cut back to 10, I believe, in the Senate. growers. Yeah, which really would make your concern about the diversity of the distributors an issue. Right. And I think... And one of the things that was added on in the House, not as it relates to who would actually get the licensures, but as it relates to be who would be on the board to have two folks to, to be of minority background at a minimum, right? But that's out of 12. 
Okay. That's that's not representative, and it's not representative of our state whatsoever. Jackie, uh, law enforcement's not happy about this uh, measure at all, and uh, there's real questions as to where we're going to go with this uh, tomorrow. Well, I mean, this is an interesting um, subject because you have both sides aren't happy, right? So you want to have you, know, you you have this you now can you can now can use it, but you can't buy it or or, or produce it here in the state. So that's obviously a problem because how is it going to magically appear in your hands, right? If you can use it, and then you have the law enforcement concerned about what does this mean for the potential future if it's available? What does we know what could that possibly do? Kind of that idea that it can kind of run rampant, um, and I and I think it's it's a challenging situation. The hope is that the, the House and Senate will get to some kind of compromise since you only have tomorrow or late until the next the next morning so that it can be actually passed and people can find a way to actually purchase it in state because it's now legal to do so. But I think on both sides, people aren't going to be happy. And the question is, can they find a way to be equally unhappy and, and yeah. make progress? Brenda, has it gotten to the point where a conference committee has been set up? And do Democrats have representation on it? That is where it's going to go to. And the reality is that we haven't had representation of Democrats in any of the conference committees so far. Cody, you're nodding. It is going to conference Mm -hmm. committee? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. Uh, And where does the governor stand on this measure, Cody? (laughs) So I I want to start with a little bit of a a personal note because um, my first session um, down at the General Assembly was in 2015, and that was at the point where it was former Representative Allen Peake was starting or in the second year of a push and – when you go down to the Capitol and, and you're lucky enough to meet some of the children that this oil helps, um, it impacts your opinion of the issue immensely. And, and that is something that, that the governor has been open about, that look on the campaign trail, um, he met with a lot of these families that are dealing with this issue. And that's why he has always said that um, he would be in support of a research-based expansion of the program. Um, I think it, it's, it's kind of similar to the airport issue because now you have a, a House version of the bill um, the Senate made pretty significant changes, and now they're going to go to conference. Um, if I was a betting man, I'm I'm not sure that I would look for a, a solution to come out of that conference, just based on the fact that I know some of the senators have pretty strong opinions. You know, there was one issue that um, has come to at least my attention reading some of the news reports, that if you're a law enforcement officer and you pull over a large truck that is carrying some of this material in the back of your truck, you don't know if it's hemp or marijuana especially on the hemp farming side of this, that they're now having to deal with some of that stuff. And yeah, now we can, you can grow hemp, le- hemp legally Correct. in Georgia. Yeah. Um, so it's some of these issues that are, are presenting new issues to law enforcement. But look, I think there has to be a compromise somewhere. Now, whether or not it's by tomorrow, mm-hmm. we'll see. But this issue needs a resolution. Have, have you gotten have any specific uh, uh, academic institutions raised their hands and said, we'll, we'll do the research on this? I'm not aware of any. Um, now, what... I think there's only one license in the nation to research. Yeah, and that's in Mississippi, right. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think that could potentially be a way that um, Georgia starts to either lead the way or present an option that one of our research folks would like to do it. Well, the universities have been very hesitant um, precisely for any issues of possibly losing any of their federal funding. As long as it's a Schedule One drug under federal law, universities have good reason to be concerned, nervous. So really, Brenda, uh, you're suggesting in the long run, until the feds change their law uh, or change the designation of uh, any form of marijuana as a Schedule One drug, we're always going to have some problems, although this this bill does open the door for distribution and cultivation here. 
Right. That's why the solution does have to be at the production and cultivation here in our state. The question, and I think the real argument back and forth, is between who and and who and how many get to be part of that um, industry. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's move on from there. Um, the well, you know what? I, I just looked up at our our clock. So why don't we get a break out of the way and come back, and we'll continue. But one of the reasons I want to stop the conversation about topics for a second is to say, if you were watching us on Facebook Live, you may be saying to yourself, "Wait a minute, that doesn't look like the Facebook Live studio. I mean, the uh, the uh, Political Rewind studio. It's not. We have just started today. Uh, Cody, Jackie, Brenda, Jim, and I are uh, now in." Our new temporary facility here at GPB, uh, we're building a new talk studio and are going to move into that in about a month. So if you're watching us and wonder what the heck is going on, that's it. We're in a temporary facility for the time being. With that said, let's get to our first break and we'll be back with more on what's ahead for the legislature on day 40. Financial contributions from listeners like you are not the only gifts that keep GPB on the air. In fact, many listeners have already chosen to donate a used vehicle to GPB. We'll pick up your vehicle for free and send you the paperwork for your taxes. Get started today. Call 877-GPB-1-CAR or go to gpb.org cars. That's 877-GPB-1-CAR or gpb.org cars. And thanks. Being trans in small town Michigan can be hard. There's been kids that have approached me and be like, hey, you should burn in hell. For the past year, the town of Allendale has been debating LGBTQ plus issues in sex ed. Is it going to be taught that it's okay? I'm Elsa Chang, the struggle for an inclusive school curriculum. This afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News. Four till seven today on GPB and gpbnews.org. Um, Jim Galloway, uh, why don't we uh, knock off a couple of uh, quick uh, measures that uh, uh, are still being have been dealt with in the legislature? One of them is uh, outstanding. The uh, Republicans in the Gwinnett County House delegation, who are in the minority of that delegation now, have nevertheless pushed a measure that would delay another MARTA expansion vote till at least 2026, if not later. And not only do Democrats in the delegation not want this, but their own Republican county commission chair, Charlotte Nash, is against this yeah, as yeah, well. Where's been, this going? Yeah, well, the the vote the, the vote that uh, failed was on March 19th, and Charlotte Nash immediately began saying, well, we need to pick a better date mm-hmm. when there are more voters. This was kind of shuffled off to a, a low turnout date, uh, uh, and, and many people believe in it to, to defeat to. To, to allow to happen what just happened, uh, so so you've got uh, 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 Brett Harrell, Chuck, Chuck Efstration, maybe four other uh, Republicans from Gwinnett, uh, addressing their 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 colleagues in the House because because they cannot control local legislation. It's general legislation now. Right. They want to tack a rider onto SB two hundred, which is a a kind of a, an otherwise innocuous uh, transportation bill, and that would but that would require a House vote and then a Senate uh, agree disagree. Uh, it would take up a lot of time. Brenda, you're Gwinnett County legislator. You, uh, you know, this is one of those matters where you say, why does the state legislature want to interfere with a county that wants to that may want to have another vote on Marta? Absolutely. The bottom line, precisely because it was the minority Republican um, delegation that signed on to this bill, is a way to save try to 
further safeguard as much as they can seats that are quite frankly very competitive and very likely to flip in this next 2020 election. Bottom line, that's the only reason to f- file this bill um, because I actually spoke when, when we heard this news in the morning from Rules Committee to spoke directly to basically the business leaders in, in Winnet County, which happenstance happened to be Republican. And one person said to me, why is it you're the first person I hear from? And, you know, that that in itself should tell you enough that this is not something that the county needs, that the county wants, definitely not from our county commission, but most definitely from from business and economic development in our county. All right. Well, we'll watch where that goes. Do you have any sense of whether that's going to get through? There are some conversations right now in terms of possibly taking it off um, some uh, maybe considerations of allowing it to be then instead on the primary of 20 versus November of 20, oh. so it wouldn't affect the issues of turnout. So there's those conversations. As was mentioned with 511, if it doesn't move um, from it being added on to SB 131, there's considerations of having that added on to SB 200 instead. But again, as what ha- has happened in every 40th day, it's a matter of just wait and see. All right. Well, well that's what we'll do. We'll wait and see. Uh, Cody, uh, CON, Certificate of Need, we we came into this session saying it was going to be one of the biggest issues of the session, whether the regulations that govern what hospitals, medical facilities have to go through if they want to expand in some way, move into a new area. And it, it never, it didn't become uh, the issue that many people thought it might But we did see an important development for the Cancer Treatment Centers of America. That's a major national organization. They came into Georgia with a commitment from the state that they could operate here, but they could not do more than 35 percent of their business from people out of the state of Georgia. But what happened this last week was the, the what happened with CON was it was directed specifically at them. They're now freed from those regulations. They can expand as they want, but still have to comply with the CON regulations that are in place. Right? Have I got that right? <laughs> I think so. So um, I'm always uh, very ready to admit that I'm not the healthcare expert in the room. Um, and this session has been a little bit of a, a drinking through the fire hose on that on that topic for me. But <clears throat> I'll say that, you know, on CON, it, it sounds like a relatively small issue, but actually it is probably one of the largest healthcare challenges or issues or debates yeah. that is going on in Georgia right now. So um, earlier on in the session, there were... Um, recommendations out of the House Rural Development Council, which really would have transformed and, and um, introduced a lot more innovation into the Georgia healthcare marketplace. Um, you saw some back and forth between the House and Senate. Um, there were some third-party groups that were weighing in. And that's why Governor Kemp felt it was very important to at least come out and say, look, we need real reform of the CON program this year. Um, and we were happy and, and worked with the House and Senate to get um, – Two measures. One that you're referring to is CTCA. You know, it's a great day in Georgia when more people that are diagnosed with cancer get to go see, well, some of the best doctors in the country right here in Noonan. Um, I think that's a good story. The other piece being more transparency for hospitals. Um, I think those two together um, partnered with the Patients First Act, which is you all have talked about on the show a lot. Um, 
we feel good yeah. about and hope can move more transparency forward. for nonprofit hospitals. Yeah, uh, primarily, uh, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. Bill. Two things. Uh, number one, Cancer Treatment Centers of America was kind of the political and economic driving force between the the move to do away with the uh, certificate of need yep. system in Georgia. Yep. So, so this is basically this is this is uh, 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 putting a uh, give, giving a shot of oil to the squeaky wheel here, if you will. Um, and the other portion of that is that there have been indications coming out of Washington that if a, a certain state wants to uh, uh, get a, a, a waiver in terms of Medicaid uh, expansion or, or anything else that you might want to call it, uh, <laughs> uh, that, that uh, CON reform might be a, a, a welcome, uh, a welcome uh, uh Ingredient. Jackie, let's be clear about why this matters. It seems so technical, which it is. It can be very I, – I, I feel Cody's pain. <laughs> exactly. It is not an easy <laughs> issue. But, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the reality is, particularly if you're operating in a rural hospital struggling already, Certificate of Needs protects you from a bigger organization coming in, setting up shop to provide only the – you know, a limited number of services, MRIs, just to take an example, they set up, they make money doing it, and you're stuck taking... Taking away from the insured. I mean, right. That's mm-hmm. the point. The right. Right. And so, again, again, I think what we're, we're looking at is a re- the reality of where we are now, which is we have a big problem currently in Georgia with hospitals in the rural areas. We don't have enough services offered to people. I mean, we have... And I, 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 forgive me, I had the stats I think last week, but there is a there's a huge gap in, in rural. I mean, here we have several hospitals. We can go to Grady, we can go to Piedmont, we can go to Northside. We can go. There are tons of places to go depending on what you're what's happening to you. If you're living in rural Georgia, you don't have that um, that luxury. So these um, what they're doing at the state level is really trying to address those concerns and trying to open up and innovate in that market. Um, and again, I think it does two things because it both helps the market from the rural Georgia but also puts us up to be ready for the Medicare waiver, so the, the expansion waiver for um, for us as well. And so it does two things at one time. And the, the really hard thing, I think, is going to be to sit back and give it time to take effect because, as we all know, once you pass something, it doesn't happen overnight, and you have to sit back and make sure it actually rolls out as it was intended. So I think, Brenda, I'm right, that ironically some of the lobbyists for the health care providers, the nonprofit health care providers, ended up – being uh, relieved in some ways about the the cancer treatment centers getting this uh, uh, special deal because it's not in the long run going to change the the overall certificate of need structure, at least currently. Well, in the sense that it's not going to open up to all the other yes. uh, pri- right. private private entities, right? But uh, I always um, remind folks that innovation is really important, and private businesses can can actually can can lead on that. But that is not an always, and no private business is trying to innovate for the uninsured or underinsured. And so this is simply a way for private businesses to take advantage of those that uh, t- take market in those that are already insured. And that is not the issues that um, address or fix the issues that are happening in rural Georgia, as was mentioned. That is something that we might benefit in Metro Atlanta, where we have those options, but not outside of that. Okay. um, Let's move on. Uh, Jim, uh, as people who were with us on Friday know, we actually were uh, on the air when the debate over uh, HB 481, the abortion bill, began. We actually played a portion of it live on the air. So obviously this is a bill that is perhaps the most 
a bill with more consequence than anything I can remember. Maybe the flag vote comes mm-hmm. kind of close back in uh, 2001. And uh, it, it passed after we went off the air. And uh, we are told, and, and very quickly, uh, Cody, we're told that your boss is looking to sign this immediately after, uh, within the day after the session. Is there some truth to that? No. Okay, fine. I saw, I saw that reported somewhere. So, um, we haven't. We're, so what will happen after Tuesday when all the bills have passed, we then have a big master list that we will then go through and review, make sure that there's no um, issues that we have with them, and then we'll kind of schedule out when the bill will be signed. So we have not made So that whatever choice. reporting there was that he was going to get, this was going to go to his desk for signature like Wednesday is not correct. Your statement is correct. So... <laughs> We have no plans right now when to sign the bill. Okay. Uh, do you have any thoughts about whether this is going to be done quietly uh, in a corner somewhere or whether there's going to be a group? Of, what, what are you thinking as what part of that communications team? Right. Um, I mean, I guess on the issue itself, real quick, and then I'll answer sure. your question. You know, on, on a personal note, I, I mentioned that I have a six-month-old at home, um, and it's you know, Friday was one of those days that I hope at the time that I'm no longer working for Governor Kemp that I can look back and say I was so proud to have had a moment or a small part of that team effort to get the bill across the finish line because I think if more families have the opportunity to have a six-month-old in their arms like me and my wife love to be able to do, that's a good win for Georgia um, and for Georgia families. I'll say on the, you know, we were very clear and the governor was very clear throughout the campaign Um he had a set of belief systems that he wanted to do should he be elected. He then went um, to the people and said, here's what I want to do. He's of the belief that once you're then elected, you have the obligation um, to those people that elected you to do exactly what you said you would do. And that's what he's doing now with the heartbeat bill. Um, so it's it's a belief system that he has that obviously the General Assembly does. Um, and we were honored to have bipartisan support in the House for that. Um, but going forward, look, it's not something that this governor um, is ashamed of supporting. He's proud of his support for this bill, um, and and we're going to move forward in that vein. Yeah, clear. I mean, I, I think you've answered. There are a lot of people on Facebook Live now who are urging you to go back to your boss and say, tell him not to sign the bill. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. There are also some people, I should tell you, on our Facebook Live today saying, Cody, buckle up. <laughs> that advice really- is warranted. I will say that um, <laughs> if if – if I wasn't ready after the general election that we had, for yeah, I don't think, cycle, yeah, I, think I, I don't think you bruise easily. I'm not worried about that, uh, Jim. The weekend, lot of coverage of this nationally. Well, Le Monde uh, yeah. had, had yeah. an article on it. Uh, it made. Uh, I had to look that up, Jim. It made me <laughs> very prominent p- paper uh, in in France. It it made uh, it uh, it was a topic for conversation on Meet the Press on Sunday. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you had both. Uh, uh, Ed Setzler and uh, and uh, uh, Jen Jordan uh, making uh, appearances on it uh, on CNN, uh, NPR, everywhere. Before we uh, open this up to a broader conversation, because I can see Brenda really wants to jump in, and I can't wait to hear Jackie on this too. Let's listen to just a little bit of Setzler and uh, Jordan on uh, CNN this morning. Nothing in our law changes the circumstances of criminal abortion. It simply moves from 20 weeks to the point of the presence of fetal heartbeat with respect to the treatment of doctors and women. Because, again, we recognize the presence of a human heartbeat is worthy of legal. I know where you're coming from, but my my question is, 
Will women ever go to jail as a result of this? Nothing in our uh, in House Bill 481 changes the circumstances with respect to to criminal exposure to women. In fact, we put in a, an affirmative defense to women who are in emergency circumstances to provide an extra level of protection that does yes. not exist under current jurisdiction. Emergency circumstances. I mean, you're talking about a woman who is raped. I'm talking about women who are seeking abortion. Is that how you see it, Senator Jordan? Look, the, the very fact that they had to put in an affirmative defense from prosecution shows that this is a sea change in the law with respect to criminalizing um, women with respect to abortion. And so if you're not going to prosecute women, there's no need to have an affirmative defense. Brenda, I, the first thing that I thought of when I saw that uh, uh, conversation was um, Ed Setzler is being so terribly careful in what he says that I don't think he's communicating much. Um, and what I mean by that is, I, you know, I'm not talking about whether he's right or wrong. It's just I don't think he's found language that helps the, the public understand what this law really will do. Well, I will definitely uh, differ completely from the prior conversation that this is a shameful time in Georgia. And as you mentioned before, we really have stepped back a century back because this issue is about women's integrity and uh, a woman's ability to determine their own medical choices. Because at the end of the day, it's... Tr uh, pre preempting a woman to decide what medical choices are best for her with her with her doctor and with her family. And one person's belief, even if that happens to be our governor, is not a reason to impose those personal beliefs precisely because what we always want to have is to ensure that one person's personal beliefs, especially when it's based, if, it's, if it is based on religious reasons, uh, to be that person's right to do in their own home, but that should not be an issue imposed upon anybody else's home. You know, Jackie, almost every time we've talked about this, I've said that I do get that there is a difference between the moral argument that some people believe is is crucial to making and the political side of this. But they're both relevant, I think. Um, and this, we don't doubt that, that, that Brian Kemp is pro-life. He's made that clear for a very, very long time. But on the political side of it, this is one of those decisions that plays almost entirely and solely to the base in a political sense. And in the long run, what does that do in terms of how we speak to one another as people in this state? I'm going to back up a little bit um, and talk a little sure. bit. Kind of, and I'll, I'll answer your question because I think part of the problem is this is such an emotionally charged topic. I mean, this is one of the hardest topics you'll ever come across anywhere in politics. I mean, we talk about transportation easily. We can talk about, you know, this, that, or the other easily. But talking about... Um, you know, what to do with a pregnancy is, is incredibly hard. And part of that is the belief system, and let me get to your point, um, the belief system about when does uh, life start. And as I mentioned last week when I was on here, I've actually, I actually had two miscarriages before I had my children. And so for me, even though I miscarried, those, they were children to me because I had anticipated their birth and they weren't, they weren't able to, uh, to be born. And so if you believe that, then you totally understand where this bill comes from. But on the other hand, we know that Georgia Right to Life said this didn't go far enough because they actually believe in conception. So, again, I think if you step back and look at the broad picture, you know, and, and I understand it's different from where we are today at 20 weeks. This really is, in, in many ways, if you really believe in conception belief, this is some sort of compromise. I'm not saying I agree with them, just laying out the facts as I see them, in that you still have a chance prior to— um, the heartbeat to make a decision. 
I think that I think it raises a couple of different topics. I think one is where, where do we as a country, and my guess is, I mean, I, I'm, I'm this is spec, pure speculation, so don't hold me to it. Is this may in some ways lead to a, a national fight? Someone taking it to court eventually, so we get right, we get up to the Supreme Court and have another discussion nationally about about what the law is of the land. Um, and I think it's important that this dis- that this discussion happen at the national level because, one, you want to have a, a, um, a conversation about this. And secondarily, I do think as science changes, as we understand more about the development of a child, the more we understand how that happens, I think it gets harder and harder to say it's a woman's choice no matter where she is. And to be perfectly frank, I think part of this um, push towards um, we need to think about life is what happened in Virginia and New York and the fact that you had Democrats advocating that if something went wrong, you know, during abortion in the third trimester, that, that they could go ahead and kill the baby that was, you know, delivered. So this is a really important conversation for us to have. Um, and I do b- believe that both the, the moral value, the moral beliefs and the policy has to come across. But I do think, and I want to harken back what Robinson said earlier, we need to be able to do it cordially and we need to understand it's important, but we need to have this conversation. <laughs> Jim, first of all, is does this bill criminalize a woman who has an abortion after six weeks? That's going to be something that's going courts, to be argued. Yeah. yeah. If you put an affirmative defense that yeah. says if a woman truly believes she's in a, in a medical emergency and has an abortion, she won't be prosecuted. That implies that if a woman does not believe yeah. that she has a, a medical emergency and gets one, then she can't. Yeah, that's based, okay, Amy but, Steigerwald but, but, but has I, said that from the beginning okay, but on if, our uh, show. If, if I can't— um, Oh, the thing that's striking about this bill, and 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 the dangers I think that it, state, the the legislators see in this is is just the stark line that it draws between men and women, uh, especially on the Republican side of the caucus, uh, on 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 on, the, on that aisle. You had uh, that House vote. Okay, the House vote on Friday that gave the final push that put the bill on 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 uh, Governor Kemp's desk. Uh, you had. Eight people skipped votes. Seven were Republican, but all were men. Uh, that, sh- that that tells you what they're what they're worried about. Uh, you had you had uh, Kay Kirkpatrick back on. Uh, uh, I think it was the twelfth when when the Senate passed it. She was she was out of the building. She was at a funeral. She was asked how she would vote for it. She's a, she's a physician. She's an orthopedic surgeon. Uh, she says she would have voted against it because it criminalizes uh, much of what her 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 colleagues do in medicine. And then wanna, you had they did, one more thing. One more thing. You had Sharon Cooper, who's chair uh, uh, of the, the House Health and Human Services Committee. She she dodged the first vote in the House. Uh, on this Friday, she voted against it. So I want to add two things. First of all, and, and something that, again, speaking about the issues of not being medically sound, that, that this bill that is not, is miscarriages will actually be um, investigated. They have to be because you can, cannot know the difference between an induced miscarriage and a spontaneous one. And the only way to determine that is precisely to have criminal investigation any time any miscarriage is reported and brought before a doctor. I, I got to stop this. I was so ing- I really was really uh, listening carefully that I forgot we have to get another break in. Tom Faust tells me we can do it in thirty seconds. We don't have to do a full minute. So let's get it done. On the next fresh air. 
understanding Chief Justice John Roberts. Veteran Supreme Court correspondent Joan Biskubic talks about the roots of his conservative views, his reasoning on key decisions, including one upholding the Affordable Care Act, and why she thinks President Trump should not regard the Roberts Court as a rubber stamp for his administration. Biskubic's new book is The Chief. Join us. Fresh air is this afternoon at 3 on GPB and gpbnews.org. So, uh, Cody, let me come back to you. Uh, You kind of alluded to it, and we've talked about it quite a bit on this show in the last week or so. Uh, You all have had, as Governor Kemp's press secretary, you can uh, say that you've had some pretty significant successes in this legislative session. You got the budget passed with raises, $3,000 raises for teachers, a down payment on his pledge to give $5,000. The Patients First Act gives your uh, boss the power to come up with whatever kind of waivers he wants in terms of the Affordable Care Act or expansion of Medicaid. I mean, those are two big examples. You told us a minute ago that this measure— 481 is another one of his big successes. For supporters, no question they are celebrating this. But it also, as I said before, this plays so specifically to your base. And there's so, he, he could have come through this session as a guy who people said, Good for him. He had the. He was a moderate in this first uh, session. He did important and and valuable things. And you know how much pushback there is on 481. I would love to agree with your rosy assessment of what people would have said had we not pushed the heartbeat bill, but I somehow don't think that that would have happened. Okay. But you did have an alternative uh, measure that you yeah. all introduced. So the governor was in support of the trigger law and the heartbeat bill. Um, Jody Lott, who is a female floor leader from Augusta area, um, she was the second signer on the heartbeat bill. They both went before the same committee hearing. Heartbeat bill passed first, so he said, let's go. Um, I'll say this. there, This is a tough issue, and the governor has made that clear in every um, appearance he has had on this on this issue. There are men and women on both sides of the issue. As I just said, Jody Lott, our Republican floor leader from the Augusta area, is a female. Um, Renee Unterman, um, the state senator and former chair of the Senate Health and Human Services Committee, was the sponsor of the bill in the Senate. There are good people on both sides of this issue. Um, and this conversation, as Jackie said, needs to happen. And I think the governor and a lot of Georgians, a record number of Georgians put him in that office, um, having been clear about what he wanted to do, should he be elected to governor? Um, and again, I think it's a good day for Georgia whenever, um, more families get to enjoy, um, life because look, Georgia from multiple issues, whether it's criminal justice reform, our budget actually puts a million more dollars into Meals on Wheels for elderly. We value life, um, and I think this bill gives us an opportunity to value life at an earlier stage. Well, Jim, here's an interesting development in all this as well, though. Uh, up in Dalton, Georgia the other day, Stacey Abrams called this measure evil, and she says it's helping her rethink what her next steps may be in elective office, and she suggested that maybe now she was more inclined not to run against David Perdue, but maybe to come back and take a crack at Cody's boss. Well, it was good to see her back in Georgia, Bill. We've talked about that on this show on a number of occasions, and I agree. Right, right, and it's it it uh, it could be a clarifying moment because this is not a fight that's going to be uh, that's going to happen in the U.S. Senate yeah. anytime soon. Brenda, you're going to see this go to the Supreme Court. 
We're definitely going to see this litigated the the same minute that it's signed. Absolutely, and um, you know, really comfortable of where it's going. Even even in our very conservative circuit, um, I, I do believe that the the law. <laughs> Because, again, the medical issues are very unsound, the law is actually very clear that this is this is an issue of you can't have more greater undue burden than the was placed through this through this piece. All of right. Well, that's all. OK, that's done. Um, we're out of time, unfortunately, for today's show. A couple quick things. Number one, we are going to be live down at the state capitol tomorrow for the sine die edition of the show. Uh, they'll be working until at least midnight. One of the things we learned a couple of years ago is that midnight doesn't necessarily signal the end of a session. As long as you keep going without the gavel being uh, thrown for the last time, you can keep going. I think they're going to try for midnight. I bet they will. <laughs> and also, we didn't get to talk about it. You have a brand new column posted at your uh, website, JackieCushman.com, or at Town Hall. A couple of things that you feel a little outraged about. Just tell us real quick what they are so people uh, can go and read them. Oh, so it's called Outrageous, it's called, um, outrageous Outrage. But it's not me being outraged. It's, it's where yes. we are as, a, as, a, as, as a, a country. And the two things I talk about is Trump and investigation. Um, being come to close, and also the Jesse Smollett case in Chicago, where I actually agreed with Chicago Mayor Rahm Emanuel. So you never know what's going to happen. Yeah, Jackie Cushman said before <laughs> we went on the air, whoever thought I'd agree with Rahm Emanuel. So, <laughs> all right, that is it for us uh, for today's show. Uh, Brenda Lopez, get some rest tonight so you're fresh for tomorrow, Jackie. Cushman, thank you for being here. Cody, it was a pleasure to have you. Come back and join us again sometime. Yes, sir. Thank you. Jim Galloway, I'll see you again. Uh, at some point, you'll stop by our position tomorrow, I know. Oh, absolutely, and sure. Say hello to us. We're also uh, going to have Bluestein will be on for a while. We've got a number of legislative leaders who are lined up to come do the show. And finally, remember that a week from tonight, on April 8th, we will be out in Athens where we're going to do the show in front of a live audience at the University of Georgia. You can, I think we still have some seats left, Tom. They're free, but you should go online to politicalrewind.org to uh, register so you're assured of a seat as we talk about young people in politics. That's it for us. We'll see you again tomorrow from the state capitol. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Line takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Line wherever you get your podcasts.